Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's never been easier to communicate with people, but it's never been harder to know which platform you're supposed to communicate on. Here's a simpler solution. With call, meet, and message all in one app, Ring Central makes communication easy. With all that connectivity in the palm of your hand, you can work from anywhere with anyone at any time and never miss a beat. Because when it comes to communication, simple is better. Learn more at ringcentral.com. Ring Central simpler communications you're, you're, you're listening to the worldwide sports radio network this is the md's fantasy football show with dan mader giving you the x's and o's of all things fantasy on the worldwide sports radio network Hello and welcome back to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN. Also presented to you by Belly Up Sports. We're back, baby. You guys haven't seen us since last week where we did the NFL draft coverage. We did the first night, the second night, all three rounds. We didn't do Saturday. Maybe next year we'll be able to do that. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater. We... We had a wonderful time, and I want to give another shout-out to everybody who joined on Thursday night, on Friday night, and made it a very big success that we're going to be able to continue to do now. And it's going to be great, and I, we had a lot of positive feedback. A lot of people, you know, there's a lot of fantasy analysis. There's a lot of football analysis out there. But the betting analysis, pick-by-pick, pick, everyone found that very entertaining, informative, even won some money. But it was the culmination of all the analysts that we had come on there as guests and all those perspectives that really made it special. And it went as great as I could possibly be. So I just want to thank everybody again who tuned in, who came on to the show, and we're going to do it again next year. But now it's the month of May. And when you're in the month of May, it's time to recap. It's time to recap everything for the month of May. And we're going to do that in a more slower fashion than most. A lot of people, they want to go through it all, 
you know, recap all 32 teams from a fantasy perspective, but not that's not what we're going to do. And we're going to get Chris Dowhauer in here uh, now to join the show as well. How you and doing? Good, Chris. And I was just telling the MD Nation, you know, what they can expect for us in the month of May. We're, we're going to take our time. A lot of shows, they want to they burn through, you know, just recap all the fantasy analysis for all 32 teams right off the bat. Not for us. We're going to take this 18th time for the next month. So the next four episodes for the next month, the whole month of May, take it 18th at a time. We're going to examine their entire draft, give you guys our analysis from there. And then we're going to get into team profiles come June and July. Where we'll start to have some guests on for that. And then we'll be getting into our, our rankings, our top five, our bus five, our sleeper five, so our, you know, from every single position, all the angles. And it'll be August before you know it. The season will be here. So those, that's what you have to look forward to from us now that the NFL draft coverage from last week is over. Chris, of course, was uh, my co-host for that entire coverage as well. It'll be back next year. It was a great success. So, Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. I was talking about the season coming up. I feel like it's getting here quicker and quicker. Um, loved our fantasy uh, drafts we had, and we definitely get to tackle kind of looking back at what we kind of covered for about 10 hours, it looked like there on uh, Friday and yeah. Um, Thursday yeah. and Friday. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm just in breaking it down. And like you said, I like the fact that we're going to kind of take our time and kind of process with those people. So we want to understand what's really important. Exactly. So we're going to go through this because here's what this show is about, especially if you're new. If you caught some downfall draft coverage, the first time you're taking this show out, this is what this show is about. It's about making you, MD Nation, the smarter fantasy football player. And it means taking it from more variables, more angles, than most people ever would. That's what it's all about. Okay, so without further ado, though, we want to get into the show. Today, we're going to be going over the Jaguars, the Jets, the 49ers, the Falcons, the Bengals, the Dolphins, the Lions, and the Panthers. And, of course, we have a mailbag segment for you guys at the end of the show as well. Uh, So that's going to be over the next two segments of this show. Before we get that, though, I want to give a shout-out to one of our sponsors of the day, which is Symbol. Not Symbol, but Symbol, S-I-M-B-U-L-L. And this is where Wall Street meets sports gambling in this innovative app. Symbol brings the fun of being able to play for the long term by purchasing, selling, and trading stocks of your team. When your teams win, you win a payout. But when you lose... They don't, you don't lose money. The value of your team's shares is all that matters, and it's easy to use. Just download the app, the Symbol app on your Play Store, and use the promo code MDS Fantasy for a $10 deposit of at least $10 or more. Join the fun of investing in your team for the long haul, where the sportsbook edge is put back into your hands as the player. For the latest and most fun in sports gambling, Download the Symbol app, and again, use the promo code MDS Fantasy for your $10 deposit today. So, Chris, as we go through this thing, the first thing we, team we want to kick off with is the Jacksonville Jaguars. Of course, their first pick being the most important pick of all picks, Mr. Trevor Lawrence. So, with Trevor Lawrence, and then let's combine that with the fact that they took Travis Etienne in that second first-round pick. What is the combination of those two? And what was we had our reaction for the NFL draft cards for some of those who might have missed it? What was your reaction to them taking Travis Etienne with that second first round pick when they just took Trevor Lawrence and gave him his teammate? Um, at first I was a little bit initially surprised, but I do think we talked about before in previous shows that we're not we weren't really sure what Urban Meyer was going to do with the running back position. A lot of people just assumed that James Robinson would be the starter and the key guy. 
Um, and I think this kind of shook it up a little bit. And we weren't surprised it took a running back. So when they went to went ETN, um, we were definitely kind of surprised but excited as well. Um, I think one of the things that stood out to me is that they talked about Urban Meyer about how they're going to use them, and they're going to use them in a slash position was kind of how it was stated, um, kind of a, a combination of Alvin Kamara slash Percy Harvin role. So it's going to be interesting to kind of see how he's actually utilized. Yeah, well, <laughs> this is where – so we have lying season or smokescreen season heading into the NFL draft, right? Now it's become the season of – it's still lying season. The lying never stops in the NFL, but now it becomes into coach speak interpreting coach speak. That's what we're now into. Urban Meyer was the number one example of that in day one of the NFL draft by trying to say that Travis Etienne was drafted in the first round to be a third down back. James Robinson and Carlos Hyde. And, and this is, I mean, if you couldn't figure out this is going to be a lie before the fact they tried to bring Carlos Hyde into this just kind of made it uh, uh, the epitome of the lie of all lies that they're going to be a one, two punch. And then you're going to have Travis Etienne as a third down back. You don't spend, especially in this today's and age, you do not spend first round draft capital on a running back. You plan on only playing on third downs in his rookie season. No. Now what's more likely to happen. What's more likely to happen is that James Robinson and Travis Etienne are going to be more of a one-two punch. And I could see maybe, you know, just starting off maybe in the first September, October, because you're, you know, you're still waiting for Travis Etienne to get acclimated, to get better pass protection. Maybe you'll see a 60-40 split, at least when it comes to the carries, in favor of James Robinson for at least the beginning part of the season. I think there's a good chance by the end of the year that might flip on itself to begin with. But what I do expect in the passing game, however, from the get-go, is I do expect Travis Etienne to be the guy who's getting the majority of the targets out of that backfield for the passing game. So I expect it to at least be a 60-40, if not maybe more of a 70-30 split between those two. Now, I don't want to shortchange uh, James Robinson because he proved last year that he can catch the ball out of the backfield. I don't think they'll never throw him the ball. But I do think you're going to get Travis Etienne a lot of that from the get-go, which is why he is automatically going to be the more valuable back, not just from a dynasty perspective, because obviously he's the guy moving forward. But from the 2021 redraft perspective, the guy that you want in this backfield is going to be Travis Etienne. Does he have as much value as a James Robinson did going into this season without a, you know, without competition? No, of course not. You're not, you're, you're not, you should not be drafting Etienne in the first three rounds. That should not happen because you don't know exactly when he's going to take over the carry workload. And frankly, even throughout this entire process, if you've been following along with us, I didn't have this guy as somebody who will be getting 250-plus touches at any point in his career, really, anyway, uh, because he just doesn't profile out to be that kind of a workhorse back in my mind. I think there's always somebody he's going to be splitting time with to some degree. So I, I, that's where you go with that. But because he's definitely going to get the passing down work early on, because he will get a significant portion of the carries, I think, I think the fourth round... An RB2 is something that you're looking at with Travis Etienne. And he'll have the potential, especially down the road as we get further into the season, of taking over the job more and more to maybe be a game winner uh, or league winner for you guys. I don't, do you have anything to say to that? No, I mean, one of the things that definitely stands out to me is if you're in a PPR league, I think Etienne is definitely the back that you want to own in this, in this situation. Um, I do think that they're going to kind of utilize Robinson throughout the season. I think you might see kind of a you know a Mark Ingram, Alvin Kamara kind of role. Uh, we kind of saw last year in Detroit where Doug, you know, Coach Bevel came from. Um, we you know Swift kind of got introduced into the offense over time. We saw a lot of early down backs with you know Adrian Peterson being used, on Johnson was being used. So they didn't ask Swift to do too much in the beginning of the season. I think Etienne has to kind of 
a similar path. Um, the one thing I think that's it'll be a little bit different is you think you'll be featured a lot more in the passing game right off the bat. And I think you look at the you know, Jacksonville receiving core, they do have some openings possibly in the slot position. They lost D.D. Westbrook. Um, so it could be opportunity for him to be able to utilize right off the bat. Yeah, absolutely. Now, let's talk about this from Trevor Lawrence's perspective. We don't need to talk about it from a dynasty perspective, but a lot of people want to know, is this a guy that I can play from a 2021 perspective? Is this a guy who could be a top 12 quarterback in his position? The answer to that is going to be yes for me. Absolutely 100%. First of all, he does have some weapons in Jacksonville. Whether you know we have Travis Etienne, James Robinson, we just talked about in the backfield. The offensive line's a little bit more improved, but also DJ Chark, who is better than what we saw last year. Marvin Jones, a good quality veteran wide receiver coming in. Uh, Lavisca Chanel to be a screen guy, to be a playmaker guy. They have weapons in place there, and that's. I mean, we they talked about wanting to get a tight end. We'll see if they wind up getting a tight end at some point. They actually want to be able to play and everything like that. But between that and the fact that they don't have a good defense, you're playing in a division that, generally speaking, doesn't have good defenses outside of the Colts. You're going to have positions where he's going to be able to rack up a lot of points, even if it comes down to garbage time. Hey, fantasy football quarterbacks, they live on garbage time. It doesn't matter when it comes, as long as you get the points. He's going to be in a position to really be able to do that. He's going to have to put the team on his back in year one and really carry this offense. The Jacksonville Jaguars, to be competitive, they're going to have to score points. That all lends the good things in general from a fantasy perspective for this team in general. But for the quarterback position itself, for Trevor Lawrence itself, I mean, we just look at last year. Justin Herbert, QB9 on the season. Joe Burrow from weeks one through eight before he was injured was quarterback nine up until that point. To attack Lavoa while he had a rough start between weeks eight and 11 where he was QB22. Weeks 13 through 17, you know, he sit out that one game in between. When he comes back from weeks 13 through 17, was QB 14. And that was with, you know, Lynn Bowden and whoever else they decide to stick out there as his top targets. The age of these rookie quarterbacks being fantasy relevant is here. And Trevor Lawrence is in the perfect position to, quite frankly, when you factor all that in, to be a top 10 quarterback. What do you think? I mean, absolutely. I think you have to look at it, a guy who's going to probably finish anywhere from the, the starter, depending on kind of league year, ten team or twelve team league. I think he's definitely a starting quarterback that you know draft. Um, and I think the one of the things that you know you need to focus on is his ability to use his legs. You talk about Justin Herbert; he threw the ball well, but he really didn't run that much. Trevor Lawrence is going to run. Um, he comes from the Urban Meyer system where you see a lot of the quarterbacks, you know, in, in college have been utilized. We had Tebow, we had Braxton Miller. Um, you have a variety of, guys, variety of guys who were kind of used in RPO. And I think that you kind of look at Bevel's background as well. He had quarters back with Tavar Jackson, Tavares Jackson, I should say, um, Russell Wilson. So he's got, they're both familiar with using the mobile quarterback and using their legs as an option. That gives you a safe floor. And as you talked about, kind of the defense is going to be pretty much atrocious, I think, this year. Um, so I do think there's going to be opportunity for him to get a lot of garbage points. And he's going to put up decent numbers. Um, I wouldn't necessarily reach on him, but I would definitely draft him as a starting quarterback. Now, we're looking here with the graph up uh, for the rest of the Jacksonville Jaguar draft. And just to give you guys a rundown who might just be listening to this on the podcast, if you if you missed it, you know, round two, they took Tyson Campbell, the cornerback out of Georgia. Uh, they also, with their second, second round pick, they took Walker Little. That's going to be an interesting one out of Stanford. This is a guy who's played 
Walker Little has played very little throughout his career. We'll see exactly what he's going to be able to be. I thought that was a big pick uh, for a guy who has not played much in the past two seasons. Not just that he was an opt-out. He didn't play the year before due to injury as well. He was a five-star recruit. We'll see. But he's in a position where he might they might want him to start day one. So they does become very interesting from that standpoint. Uh, round three, they took Andre Cisco, uh, Jade Tufeli, Tufeli. Uh, defensive tackle, uh, round four, Jordan Smith. They took the edge player. They took Luke Farrell at the tight end position. I don't see, you know, this tight end class, we talked about this before, outside of Kyle Pitts, I don't know if there's going to be another tight end who actually makes his mark to begin with. Uh, so I'm not going to be looking at that too much as anything interesting. And then their last draft pick they chose was Jalen Camp, uh, wide receiver, mostly for special teams. So overall, Chris, I want to just ask you this and take off your fantasy hat for a second. What would you grade the Jaguars draft to be? I would give them a B plus. Um, I think that the little pick was a little bit of a interesting one. Um, I think that's a guy that actually, I haven't heard he's going to start necessarily. I think they're, pr- they're pretty much playing for him is to kind of redshirt him in a sense this year because they have franchise Cam Robinson. And the idea would be they would move on for Robinson next year and you know, plug little in. Um, I don't know if I wouldn't necessarily jump on him as early as they did in the second round. I look at the rest of the draft. Luke Farrell, you know, you talked about the tight end position. He's just basically a blocker. Um, and you haven't really seen tight ends been necessarily utilized a lot in Urban Meyer systems a lot very often. Just talk about Tim Tebow playing tight end for them. So I think both those guys aren't going to really do anything for their passing game necessarily. Um, and then I look at their kind of, you know, the Campbell pick. While I think his athleticism, I also think is a little bit high. I probably would have drained him the third or fourth rounder. So overall, I think they did a pretty good job, but I do think they reached a couple of spots here and there. Um, the Cisco pick was, you know, fantastic. That's one of my favorite picks that they had. They needed, you know, a center fielder. We talked about their defense and then some of their weaknesses, but they have a guy who can actually be a ball hawk and create some turnovers. So I kind of like they're putting it into place. I, I, I'm with you. I like to be um, pretty much all the same spots that you talked about where I would question why it's not an A. Uh, I'm there too. The only thing I'll add is that I have heard that they might, I don't know why they would because he doesn't profile out that way to me, uh, but they might try to see if they can play Walker Little at the guard position this season coming okay. up, which is why he might get a chance to start. But um, he doesn't really profile out to me a guy that I would want to kick inside and be a guard. We'll see what happens. There's just a chance that he might be out there. Uh, I do as like, far, as far as that, go ahead. I said, I do like to fly. They took on Jalen Camp. Um, this guy's, a, you know, he's basically an athlete, he's about 6'4. Huge. He ran a great 40. Um, he's very raw because he came from Georgia Tech. They don't, you know, they don't throw the ball very often, but he has a lot of uh, skill sets. And you step across being a special teams player. I think he'll initially be used to that, but he is a nice little flyer to kind of watch to see that can he be, you know, come become something down the road. All right. So next up, talking about the Jackson Jaguars. Now we have who was the second pick of the draft, the New York Jets. They get their guy, of course, you know, leading the headway again with a quarterback, Zach Wilson. And they made a couple of interesting moves after that. I like them trading up for Ver Tucker. I think that was very, very important for them. They had probably one of the better second rounds that I've seen with the picks that they were able to pick up. And then they didn't have a third round pick again. So let's let's take this from the top, Chris, when it comes to New York Jets. Let's start off with Zach Wilson. Uh, we've talked about him a bit with the Jets because we pretty much knew this was going to happen beforehand. But just to kind of cap everything off, what's your Zach Wilson prognosis for this Jets team as far as a fantasy perspective goes? Is he in the same boat with the Trevor Lawrence? Could he be a top 12 guy? Or are we looking at him being a little bit lower? I think he's a little bit lower. I wouldn't necessarily reach for him to be a starter. One of the things I'd be concerned with him is I don't think the team's going to have a lot of volume passing the ball. Um, They're going to try to primarily be a run-first team. We've seen kind of Jimmy Garoppolo have his 
And when he, even when he was good, the 49ers, he kind of capped what his fantasy production was because a lot of times he wasn't asked to throw the ball, and he also liked to run the ball inside the 20s to get their touchdowns. So I kind of have a little bit of reservations with I take Wilson as a starter. Um, long-term, absolutely. But this year, I kind of will question that. However, I do think as the season kind of progresses, because he's a better athlete than a lot of people realize, and he will be using his legs a little bit, he has a little bit of a potential to kind of have an Andrew Luck kind of games where he, you know, he runs for 30, 40 yards, which gives him a nice little floor. Um, I think that when you look at his potential throughout the season, he is somebody that might have probably as a backup quarterback or, you know, pick up on a waiver wire if he can throughout the season. I don't like to listen to like I said, I don't necessarily like him as a starter this year, but long-term, I love him as a starter. And this year, I think he's a good backup. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think you, Zach Wilson, as far as his top-notch value, what you're looking for is, is more of the long-term, more of the dynasty. I do think as far as 2021 is concerned, I think you are looking at him as a streaming option. You're looking at him as a DFS option. I think he's going to have some big games here and there because he's in a position kind of similar to Trevor Lawrence where he should be able to rack up the garbage time points. Uh, this, is a team, this is a defense that's not going to be very good, even with Robert Salah taking over. They don't have the talent to be very good. They do have, again pieces around him offensively where he's going to be able to do some stuff. Uh, you know, you have Corey Davis and Jamison Crowder and uh, Denzel Mims. We'll see if he's able to develop and we'll talk about some of the other guys that they picked up throughout this draft. That I think are going to play and make a significant impact this season as well. But when it comes to Zach Wilson, I'm kind of with you. This offense in general is not going to be so spread them out, get it down the field. Like it's going to be for Jacksonville and Trevor Lawrence for Zach Wilson. It's going to be more, more refined, a little bit more conservative. It's going to be about him getting 30 to 40 yards on the ground, which he very well could do. Uh, could, does he remind me a little bit of a Ryan Tannehill where he's going to be a streaming option for a spurt in, in some senses? Yeah, I think I could see that in his rookie season as far as that goes. Uh, but I think you're looking at him as more of a streaming option going into this because, again, the one difference between him and Trevor Lawrence, of course, is that the division. You're playing in a much better defensive division, so you have you have six games there where you're playing against the Dolphins, the Bills, the Patriots, all very good defenses. The Patriots team is going to be much better than it was a season ago with all those opt-ins coming back. So you have to kind of struggle with that as well, where Trevor Lawrence doesn't necessarily have to get that. So I do think with Zach Wilson, he's somebody who will be just outside the top 12. I think inside the top 16, I think is very plausible for him, which will make put him in that streaming territory. There's going to be games, maybe even a stretch a month, where he has a nice schedule set up, and Zach Wilson's somebody you're looking at in that standpoint. But I think you're not drafting him to be your starting quarterback week in and week, or with the hope, I should say, to be a starting quarterback week in, week out. Like I think you could with Trevor Lawrence if you wanted to wait in your 2021 redraft leagues. Now, some of the other moves they made, I'll mention Vera Tucker because that can be very impactful. He's going to line up, I, from everything I understand, and this would be the smart thing for them to do, which I think is kind of surprising that they trade up for him because we know how the NFL hates guards. But it looks like Vera Tucker is going to be playing the guard position next to Makai Becton, giving them one dominant side of the offensive line. That's going to be big because their fourth-round pick was Michael Carter. And for fourth-round rookie running backs, he's the one who actually might have a chance to start day one because right now I'm looking at their depth chart. They have Tevin Coleman, LaMichael Perrine, Josh Adams, and Ty Johnson. Michael Carter is better than all of those guys. Now, will they definitely let him be the bell cow or the lead guy early on? Remember, this is Michael Floor coming from the Kyle Shanahan system, so I don't know if there's ever going to be a true bell cow. I don't know if he's going to subscribe to the same thing Shanahan does where he just rotates everybody, but Michael Carter should be getting as much, if not more, playing time than all those other guys, I would think, right? Yeah, I mean, the only guy I'd be concerned in the beginning of the season will be Tevin Coleman. Um, I think he'll probably get the first shot to kind of quote-unquote start. I do think there's going to really be a share 
Um, I think it'll be a 50-50 split. I don't think the other guys are really going to be rotated too much in. Adams is a, you know, to my opinion, is a bum. Um, Perrine's a bum. So I think these guys are going to kind of show their, you know, true colors right off the bat pretty fast. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Shopify presents Cool Sheets from AHA to Lying awake while you bake isn't cool. I suffered from the wrong kind of hot in bed, heat-induced insomnia. That was my aha moment. Bed sheets that keep you cool. Then I thought, how do I even sell bed sheets? That's when I had the idea that made it all possible. Signing up on Shopify. With the help of Shopify's intuitive online store creator, I started selling sustainable bamboo sheets that keep cool year-round. And my cool idea became a reality. Hot sleepers around the world rejoice. Shopify makes it simple to keep your cool while starting and growing your business. Start selling with Shopify today and join the commerce platform powering millions of businesses worldwide. From aha to anything is possible. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Start selling online today. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash free 22. Shopify.com slash free 22. Coleman will know the system, so he'll probably get a shot. But we all know Kevin Coleman historically usually gets hurt. Um, well, so yeah, I, I was going to say, he'll get a shot for week one and then get a yeah. bell ankle and then he's so, gone. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I do think Carter has a chance to become the bell cow at some point. But I do think, worst case scenario, it is a 50-50 split, kind of a la Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman back in Atlanta days. Um, I could see that kind of being used as a, a, a rotation of guys, you know, not necessarily just by downs. I'm um, sorry, not by by series, not by, by downs necessarily. So you don't have a third down back per se. You might have a guy who kind of gets series. And they kind of rotate accordingly. So I do kind of like both um, – Love Michael Carter, love his potential, and I love him behind that offensive line. You talked about you know putting Tucker and Beckton together. They have one of the bigger um, left sides they're probably going to have in the league right now, and they're going to be able to be, you know, basically maul people and also have guys who are good athletes who can get out and you know, stretch and get some stretch runs. Little Michael Carter behind some of those guys, you know, he's going to have a chance to kind of pop out and just get some big runs here and there. One of the most supposed players in college last year for big runs wise. So I think this is going to be a fantastic fit. And I'm super excited about his potential. We didn't get to cover this pick during the NFL draft coverage because we didn't do round four. But all night, especially Friday night, we kept talking about and waiting for Michael Carter to come off the board. This is more of a, you know, a, 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 an acceptance of what we know about Michael Carter and his talent. Like you just said, he's one of the most explosive guys. Once he gets onto the field, especially with this depth chart around him with the New York Jets and how much. We love the system fit for him. I think it's going to be hard to get him off the field, which is why even if he's not going to be the guy week one, he could be the guy week two. I, I really think it will be sometime in September if it's not week one coming out of training camp. And I feel like coming out of training camp, it's going to be very, very obvious who the most explosive running back at that backfield is. So that's why I think there's a good chance here. Michael Carter, somebody that you might have to draft in your redraft leagues in rounds four through six, somewhere in that territory, because I think a lot of people are going to be on top of the idea that he is going to be of value. He is going to be an RB2. And let's say if he's at least getting 15 to 18 touches a game, which I think is very plausible within that system, especially given his ability, his explosive ability. I know 
that people want to point out he ran a disappointing 40. This And we go back to this all the time throughout the NFL draft process. Look, when it comes to numbers, when, they, when it comes to their measurables and stuff like that, we're doing stuff, it has to match up with the tape. If it doesn't match up with the tape, then you're getting so, something skewed. And I'm sorry, his 4-5-8-40 doesn't match up with how he runs away from secondary players when he gets out to the third level time and time again. Not worried about his speed. Not worried about his speed at all. And with this system, all you got to do is be able to hit that outside zone hole. That's what Michael Carter is built to do. So he's going to be a big guy that we're going to talk about a lot this summer, uh, especially in the running back position, when you're looking for value out, out after the you know top two rounds of guys. He's going to be one of the top guys that we're going to be talking about probably throughout the entire summer, I would imagine. And I can't wait to start getting to my numbers, which I'll start doing soon and seeing where exactly I'm going to be placing him in the rankings and what kind of projections I'm going to come out for him. Uh, before that, though, they took Elijah Moore. Now, I kind of skipped over him a little bit because unless they were to cut Jameson Crowder, which has been thrown out there because, you know, his $10 million is not guaranteed. But on the other hand, the Jets can easily afford to pay him the $10 million because they're so far out of the cap, so it doesn't really matter. Unless they were to cut Jameson Crowder, I don't see a role for Elijah Moore to be very significant uh, you know, over this season. But from a dynasty perspective, this is very interesting with Zach Wilson. I mean, give me your take here on Elijah Moore in that second round pick. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, I think Elijah Moore is not somebody you want to necessarily draft it this year. Um, from you know, for long term purposes, I would. I think he's going to be one of their bigger playmakers moving forward. But this year, I think that you kind of wait for him as another waiver wire pickup. We do know that Crowder historically has gotten injured and he gets knocked out here, game here, there. I uh, talk about Kevin Carter. You know, once he gets out there, being kind of hard to get off the field. I kind of feel like he's going to be very similar in a lot of ways. If there was an injury in the receiving core, I think once he gets out there, it's going to be really hard to get more off the field. Um, he kind of reminds me a lot of Deontay Johnson and a lot of what he can do. I think he can line up on the outside. He can line up in the inside. So he does offer some versatility. I think that you know, when you look at their offense, initially he's not going to probably necessarily be utilized a lot. But down the road, I do think he's going to have a role. Um, kind of similar to Brandon Ayuk for the 49ers last year, where you know beginning of the season you really didn't see him. You kind of saw him – Falling behind Debo Samuel, you kind of fall, saw him falling behind Kittle. But as injuries kind of crept up on the 49ers, you know, IU got his chance to kind of shine and, you know, shined accordingly. Elijah Moore has that ability to kind of catch the screens, kind of make quickly uh, in and out cuts um, in from the slot position or on the outside, like I said. So he's a big playmaker, and I think he's going to have the you know, opportunity to get on the field. If he gets on the field, you know, mid midseason, I think he's going to be a guy you want to kind of have for the playoff run. But I would definitely not draft him in the beginning of the season. No, he's as far as 2021 is concerned, I think you hit the nail on the head there with he's a playmaker. So he's going to have some big plays here and there. Best ball leagues, maybe I'll look at him late. But otherwise, he's going to be a guy I'm going to pick up off the waiver wire, possibly at some point, DFS, possibly at some point, given the scenario you just gave of someone getting injured. And he gets playing time that way. But yeah, heading into September, so assuming, you know, Mims and Crowder and Davis are all healthy. There's not going to be a big role for him there. In the Dynasty's perspective, though, I love his ability because Crowder will definitely be gone after this season, I would imagine. Davis is locked in. Mims is locked in. But that's perfect for Elijah Moore to come in because I think he needs to be a slot receiver. So if he comes in, takes that James to Crowder role, he's a, a decent route runner. He needs to get better there. But the one thing he has that Crowder does not have is that explosiveness. And he'll be able to stretch the seam out quite a bit there. I think Zach Wilson's going to love having a guy like Elijah Moore. I wouldn't be surprised if he wound up being a guy who winds up being his number one target, say, 2022. Uh, 2021, though, I do think, you know, if you're looking at the Jets, and since we're talking about him right now anyway, Zach Wilson, who is he going to throw the ball to the most? 
I would probably have to lean towards it's going to be Crowder and Corey Davis. He's going to lean on the veterans, the guys who get open, the intermediate part of the field. Uh, and we'll see where the development is on Denzel Mims. He does like to take the deep shots are, but it's going to be coming down to where is Mims at as far as that goes. Now, we'll just look at you know the Jets' rest of the draft because the rest of it wasn't necessarily fantasy relevant. They come back. They took uh, Jamie and Sherwood to safety. Another Michael Carter, the second cornerback. Jason Panock, cornerback. Uh, hum- <laughs> I'm going to say his first name, Hamsa, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce that last That's name there. Oh, there you go. Very nicely done at safety there. And then Brandon Ecole's, uh cornerback, Jonathan Marshall at defensive tackle. So, Chris, again, take your fantasy hat off for a second. Give me the Jets' grade for their draft. So I give them a B plus. I would give those first three rounds an eight or first four rounds, I should say, an A plus. But after that, they kind of reached a lot of positions. The one thing that really did impress me is Nasser Dean's pickup. Um, this is a guy with you know incredible athlete. There's a lot of discussion what position he'll necessarily play in the pros. Is he a safety? Is he a linebacker? But he does bring the boom. He is able to tackle. He's he ran a fantastic 40, incredible athlete. Uh, yes, um, and I think he's gonna have opportunity to kind of play a little bit. And the guy that you can kind of use is a matchup against, you know, tight ends, a guy you can use to blitz. So I do like that pickup, but the rest of the guys I think were kind of reaches. They obviously were trying to shore up their, their defense, um, which I think is going to be really awful this year. And a lot of those guys to me were reaches. Um, I wasn't a big fan of most of them, but I do think overall they get a B plus. But that first four rounds, I was super impressed. I love that. Yeah, that's where I'm with you too. I, look, when it gets when you get after the you know the fourth round, you're in the fifth and the sixth and the seventh round. These are guys that they borderline are going to be either cut. They might not even make the team come training camp. Maybe they're filling out their special teams. Yes, there's values that can still be had in those rounds. Of course, there is. But for me, in order to make sure you at least had a good draft, it's about hitting early on. How many guys are actually going to be able to help you out? How what kind of talent skill set do they fit what you need and being that the Jets had such a good first four rounds, I'm willing to give them a B plus. I might even be willing to give them an A minus because I see four starters in those first four rounds, and there's not many teams that you can really say that about. Especially can't say that about the next team that we're going to talk about, which is the San Francisco 49ers. Now, I know if you guys have been following the show along, you guys know I've been going off on San Francisco and their trade up, whether their quarterback was going to be Mac Jones or Trey Lance. If you've watched the NFL draft coverage, I went off on Trey Lance then. This will be the last time that I go off on a tirade about Trey Lance for this show, at least for a while anyway. So I promise you that. But you're going to have to indulge me at least one more time of how bad a pick this was from a NFL standpoint, because it was horrible. It was horrendous. This is a team that's supposed to be a Super Bowl contending team. And I know you trade up to go get a quarterback. Fine. But now you have to have to hold on to Jimmy Garoppolo. He's not a trade asset. If you take Mac Jones, at least, maybe Jimmy Garoppolo becomes a trade asset because Mac Jones is actually ready to play now. So maybe you get some draft capital back. Trey Lance, you have to go into the season with Jimmy G. He's not ready. And I love the comment. I shouldn't say I love it. I love the bash it coming out of Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch after the fact of, well, Trey Lance, we actually felt like of all the quarterbacks, he was the smartest and most NFL ready. What a load of crap. Again, coach speak that we're going to be interpreting throughout the entire offseason. Uh, that's just, we took our guy. We had to defend our guy. First of all, everyone was kind of like, mm, how about this guy named Trevor Lawrence who went number one? Because they, they tried to say it was all number five, all five of the quarterbacks of all the five quarterbacks who went in the first round. It was absolutely insane that they would even try to remark that. And 
when it's backed up by your actions of all of a sudden Jimmy G's no longer on the trade block because you decided to take Trey Lance instead of Mac Jones. That tells you all you need to know about what the team who took him even thinks about his developmental stage at this point. This is a red shirt guy, nothing more. Now, dynasty purposes, as far as Trey Lance goes, you're looking at that because you're going to pay attention to a guy who's in a, a Kyle Shanahan led system because it tends to produce offensive numbers. Sure. Whatever. Uh, here's my thing of why I want to compare Trey Lance to the rest of the quarterbacks that went in the first round. Other than Justin Fields, he has the lowest yards per attempt in his career. When you compare it to Mac Jones, Zach Wilson, Trevor Lawrence, all those guys, it's 9.7. It was 90th. And by the way, I took these numbers from their best season, from their best season. So his best season wasn't this past year. It was 2019. This is best season, 9.7 yards per attempt, 90th among qualified quarterbacks. Mac Jones was 11.2. Wilson was 11. Fields was the only one that was less than him at 9.3. But the difference is that Fields had over a 70 percentage completion percentage, while Trey Lance is 66. So, okay, fine. It went a little bit shorter, but at least he's more accurate than you are at that point. And as we all know, after watching Justin Fields run this 40 is faster than you are because his other thing is he's supposed to be this mobile guy, but he ran a four, six. That's good. He'll be mobile, but that's not something you're running away from people. You're not using that as your big X factor weapon. The guys who actually are X factor, weapon, Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson. I know these guys technically didn't run, but just from watching on tape, you know, they're running four fours. And Lamar might be running a four, two, four, three, quite frankly, compared to everybody else. That's where you run away from people. That kind of Justin field speed four four. that that's where you run away from four, six. You don't run away from people. Now he's a bigger guy, a little more physical. He'll be able to utilize his mobility in the red zone. Kind of like a Josh Allen, kind of like a Dak Prescott is what I could imagine. So from that standpoint, you will have some fantasy value because he'll get utilized in that eventually when he plays again in 2022, but you go back to it, the most NFL-ready, Mac Jones throws the ball down the field. Zach Wilson throws the ball down the field. Justin Fields only had one read to go to. Trey Lance was playing this NFL system in North Dakota State where he has the top-notch team compar- comparative to the AA football teams that he's playing against. And all I hear about Zach Wilson is that he's going to be the bust of the draft because he didn't play against any competition in college. Who the heck was Trey Lance playing against? Who was he playing again? What competition did he see? He had less competition than any of them, than all of them. So how is it Zach Wilson, not for Zach Wilson, but not it, it, it gets brought up, but rarely gets brought up for Trey Lance. And we talked about this time and time again. You cannot, I shouldn't say you can't, but it's very difficult to get a quarterback who is conservative in college to become aggressive in the NFL and take his shots. Very, very hard to go in that direction. You can get a quarterback who is aggressive, and get them to be a little bit more conservative, give them to rein it in sometimes. But it's very, the only quarterback I can even think of, and it didn't happen until late in his career when it had to, was Alex Smith. The, the year they drafted Patrick Mahomes, before Patrick Mahomes took over, we saw Alex Smith suddenly get more aggressive than he had ever been in his entire career. But it took a particular situation. That's the only one I can even think of off the top of my head where a conservative quarterback actually got more aggressive at one point. It doesn't happen. So if you're getting Trey Lance and you're thinking, everybody remembers the Jimmy G. Super Bowl throw that he missed to Emmanuel Sanders. And they, they, you know, instead of blaming Kyle Shanahan and not actually trying to go for points at the end of the, at the end of the first half, they blame the Super Bowl on Jimmy G missing that throw. Trey Lance ain't going to make that throw either. 
So what are we talking about here? Like I said, from a fantasy perspective, he will always be a guy who will be around that top 12 quarterback because of the offense, because he'll probably run in for some touchdowns. But that's about it. All right, Chris, go ahead. Talk about Trey Lance. All right. So a few years ago, there was a quarterback that went first, and his name was Mitchell Trubisky. And Trey Lance screams Mitchell Trubisky to me. Amen. A lot, a lot of teams passed on a guy named Patrick Mahomes and a guy named Deshaun Watson, who, by the way, we are both big fans of. We were not big fans of Mitchell Trubisky. One of the reasons was we kept hearing about how great athlete he was. He ran about a 4-6. We kept hearing about how he had such a great arm and how accurate he was. Except for when he looked at the games, he threw nothing but bubble screen passes constantly. Trey Lance reminds me so much of that. When you watch the tape, Trey Lance not only is not aggressive, he doesn't throw an accurate ball down the field. I gave a stat during the draft day that he threw – PFF graded him that say 44% of his passes past the line of scrimmage were considered accurate. Not about, not counting drops, not counting anything along those lines, just was the ball thrown in the facility, you know, in the vicinity of a guy to make a catch. 44% of his passes past the line of scrimmage were considered catchable or accurate balls. That's horrible. And we watched Mitchell Trubisky flame out over the last few years. Why? Because he can't throw the ball down the field. Why? Because teams suddenly make him stay in the pocket. Trey Lance is going to have some production, maybe initially, similar to Mitchell Trubisky did. But teams will make him play from the pocket. And once that happens, this guy is not, to me, a, start, a, a top-notch NFL starter. He's not Dak Prescott. He's not Josh Allen. I think you were very kind and courteous saying that he has similar attributes to use to him. I think he's Mitchell Trubisky. Well, to just he's big-bodied like him. That's it. He's not even that big-bodied. He's just, I mean, he's only about... I think it's 10 more pounds than most of the other running backs. I'm, not, I'm sorry, my quarterbacks. And he's only 6'3". Everybody comes out, he's so big and tall. He's only 6'3". He only measured at 6'3". So I don't think he's necessarily this big. You know, Josh Allen was a freak in nature. He's built like Cam Newton. This yeah. guy's not built like Cam Newton. Dak mm-hmm. Prescott was a thick dude coming out of college. And he wasn't a run-first guy. We both, you know, we kind of knew that. I don't think he has even the closest skill set that Prescott has. I think this guy, to me, is easily... Easily comparable to Mitchell Trubisky. And in three to four years, we're going to look back at this draft and we're going to watch all the quarterbacks like Matt Jones and Fields who got passed on. And we're going to ask, what idiot traded up to get these guys that nobody else wanted, a la Mitchell Trubisky? And it's kind of funny that, that the team that took advantage of the Bears and allowed them to take Mitchell Trubisky was your San Francisco 49ers. So maybe this is karma. Maybe this is payback. Maybe this is Kyle Shanahan being a moron. I don't know. But there's a reason I'm not a Bears fan, because they drafted Mitchell Trubisky that season. I used it a long time. My I was a Chicago Bears fan no matter what happened, through and through. I was always upset we have a good quarterback. We had a chance to get two, two good quarterbacks. And what did we do? We traded our future first rounder so we could take a scrub in Mitchell Trubisky. Unfortunately for you guys, you traded two number one, oh, sorry, three number three. ones. To be able to move up to do so, and a four. So, I, I'm, I'm just, I don't think this guy even long term has a lot of value. Is not somebody that I'm necessarily targeting in dynasty drafts. Um, I think he's got maybe one or two year productive, productive years until teams realize, wait a minute, you can't throw, and if we keep you in the pocket, what are you going to do? Yeah, yeah I'm, I mean, of, even from a dynasty perspective, of the five quarterbacks that went in the first round. I'm still taking him last, even though he's in a good system. 
I'm taking Justin Fields in Chicago. I'm taking Mac Jones in New England. Of course, I'm taking Zach Wilson, Trevor Lawrence. I'm still taking him last, even though he wound up in San Fran. A lot of people thought whoever they took at that quarterback position was going to be the guy that they took maybe number two, even over Zach Wilson, possibly. Nope, not doing it. Not doing it. And that's just not because of my hate. Those other quarterbacks are in good situations, and they'll be able to produce. And we'll talk about Justin Fields and Mac Jones in a, in a later episode. That might actually be next week. So we'll get to all that. But no, he's going to be the last guy. Did I take? All right. Let's, because uh, I now I feel like I have to remind everybody what the rest of the 49ers draft was at this point. So the other guy that we'll jump to from a fantasy perspective is that they trade up in the third round to draft running back Trey Sermon. And here's what I'll say about this I like Trey Sermon as a sleeper. I thought he was going to be a guy who went somewhere between the fourth and seventh round on day three. I was not expecting him to go day two. I know leading up until the draft, there was a, some more hype building on Trey Sermons. They, you know, teams were starting to like what they saw after his pro day and like liking his tape. He was somebody who was rising late in the process to the point where there was multiple people that had him mocked out on day two. Um, but I still, in my opinion, never changed on him, which was he's a guy that I thought would go somewhere in the fourth, fifth round. I thought he had a nice skill set. I like his vision. He breaks tackles. You're not going to you're not going to bring him down on arm tackle. He runs with some power. He has good cut ability to get north and south. I think his skill set, his style definitely fits a Shanahan system per, almost perfectly to a T. I don't question that part. I question trading up and reaching on a guy at Trey Sermon at the third round, which I don't think you needed to do, especially for a team that historically, Kyle Shanahan to this point, uh no one running back ever gets the ball that much anyway. You're always taking these guys fourth, fifth, sixth rounds, turning them into starters. I don't know why you felt the need to trade up to get Trey Sermon for a few picks. You probably could have stayed where you were and got him. I don't know who you thought you had to jump in front of. And on top of it, you're going into this season. Now, I'll talk about from a famous perspective, Trey Sermon himself. Yeah, there was a ton of injuries last year, and there's a scenario in which there could be a bunch of injuries again, and he finds himself on the field in 2021. You're still picking him up from a waiver wire perspective because it's still going to be Raheem Mostert week one. I would imagine Jeff Wilson would still be the number two behind Raheem Mostert. I don't think Trey Sermon is going to overtake him on the depth chart, at least not initially anyway. So there's two guys that are going to have to go down in front of him for him to have any value in 2021. As far as his dynasty value is concerned, yeah, after this season, maybe they do move on from Raheem Mostert. They keep bringing back Jeff Wilson. You're going to keep able to keep him cheap. I don't think he's going to wind up going anywhere. And even if, even if he were to, the thing about Shanahan is that you know he's always going to have five or six running backs on the roster. And unlike most people who have that just as, you know, filling out the rest of your roster, filling out your special teams, all these guys are going to play at some point. So Trey Sermon, I don't know unless there's injuries in the middle of the season like there was for San Fran last year where you had a few weeks where you knew Jeff Wilson was going to get a ton of work because there's nobody left. Unless it's those situations. I don't know if you're ever going to have a situation where Trey Sermon going into the season it's going to be a guy you could expect to get 18-plus carries. I don't think he's going to be a big factor in the passing game. So he's somebody, to me, that his upside is a low-end RB2 in a decent system, and you might have spots where you can play him, but not consistently. So it kind of becomes a difficult situation where this is the right fit, this is the right team for him, but because of the situation around him, I don't know how much upside he really truly has. Go ahead. Yeah, um... You know, you talked about the system fit. I do think he does fit the system. Uh, I won't quote PFF again, but he was one of the top-rated 
running backs in running zone off of zone running game, sorry, in zone runs. Um, and he was able to kind of, he does have that vision. He does have a nice cutback. I do think he fits the team. He does profile as a quote unquote workhorse back. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's wintertime. When temperatures go down, the likelihood goes up that your furnace and other appliances go down with them. So don't risk a costly replacement. Stay comfortable with coverage on the appliances you depend on most with the Service Guard Appliance Repair Program from Black Hills Energy. It's peace of mind in a plan. Visit blackhillsenergy.com slash sign up to learn more. The only issues I do have is kind of what you're pointing at. You know, historically, we haven't seen Kyle Shanahan really ride a guy. Um, I do think he might have a little bit more long-term dynasty value than maybe you're kind of leading on. I do think he becomes the man, quote-unquote. They did trade up for him. I do think he has the build to kind of be that feature guy. The problem is is he doesn't catch the ball, and he's always going to kind of be a, you know, a two-down back, basically, for that offense. And as a result, when the 49ers fall behind or the 49ers need to pass the ball or on third downs, you're going to see this guy basically get, you know, basically taken out of the game or factored out. Um, and I also think you're going to have some issues this year, particularly where you're right. You don't, you don't target this guy unless there's, you know, major injuries in that backfield. The 49ers kind of lack explosiveness. It's kind of one of the things that's kind of not talked about. Everybody you know, likes to how, how Kyle Shanahan so wonderful and how great the off, you know, offense the 49ers can be. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think they're kind of black playmakers. And Trey Sermon, while he's really good at running um, and he's really good in the system, I don't really think he's an excessively explosive guy. Raheem Mostert is an explosive player. And when he was healthy and played, he was the guy who was basically getting was seven eight yards. The offense he was, was yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think when you kind of take that away, I think you're going to kind of, you know, you're going to limit your team in a lot of ways. I also think, as you kind of talked about, Shannon, I don't know about Jeff Wilson necessarily what he's going to be, but I do think that we do see Kyle Shannon always have guys that he kind of likes. You know, you might even have a guy on your roster yet. Maybe somebody gets cut. Maybe they wind up adding something else that he winds up being sprinkled in just because that's who he likes. Um, we kind of seen different running backs kind of been churned out through San Francisco. We saw Matt Breida could kind of have a have a good little spurt and then get kind of thrown away. We've seen um, last year we kind of so Wilson have his kind of spurt. I don't know Wilson is going to be like I said long term, but he will be. A, he's one of the guys who can pass protect. He's one of the guys who actually can catch the ball a little bit. So he will factor in probably in this, especially early in the season, more than Sermon does. As the season progresses, you know you guys got you do have guys who can kind of been injured, kind of been hurt. But I'm also curious to see what happens with that offense in general. Jimmy G is not going to start a quarterback, and Trey Lance is. You're going to see teams that basically play 8-9 in the box, and they're the 49ers to run the ball. And while I like the 49ers in the running game, they haven't really done themselves any favors about upgrading the offensive line over the last couple of years. They kept Trent Williams, which was awesome. But what else have they really done? Well, they also signed Alex Mack this offseason. That, that's they did. A and that's, a, that's well. a huge That's a huge one. I, I, I'm sorry. I, did, I forgot about Alex Mack. Um, we'll see what he still has kind of left in the tank in some senses. But, yes, Alex Mack was a nice signing. These guys are all older. We kind of saw them, you know, for a talk about a little bit, but we saw him kind of reach the guard position with Banks, and I don't really see how he profiles for that offense. Um, so when you look at this team, 
not only the running backs to kind of compete for touches, you got all kinds of other slash quote unquote players with Debo Samuel, Jalen Hurd maybe coming back. Um, you have, you know, Ayuk. You have so many different players who are going to be utilized in just jet sweeps and you know quick passes and things along those lines. That Trey Sermon's actual usage is going to be very concerning, especially this year. Moving forward, I kind of more interested, like I said, than you are. But I do think this year he has no value really at all. It's just like just you know decimated by injury. So quick, I do have a question for you, but quickly though, because we got to start picking it up a little bit. Um, with Trey Sermon, your thing is that you think he has more value down the road than I do, but it sounds like to me you have a heck of a lot more faith that he's actually going to get the opportunity to be the guy that's say starting in twenty twenty two, where I have no faith he will ever be just one guy in San Francisco. That's more my thing. So my thing, and I, I don't necessarily know if he'll ever be, you know, just a guy. Because like I said, I don't think he'll be playing third downs in the passing situations. I think there's always going to be that kind of guy sprinkled in there, utilized. Um, but I don't want to go too crazy, and I don't, I don't love the pick. That I definitely don't think they should have traded up to get him. But his running style reminds me a lot of Terrell Davis, and I do kind of see that if he gets an opportunity to play, he's going to fit that system pretty well because he does break tackles, because he's got good vision, he's a good cutback runner. I do see him having potential to have to, you know, be the guy in a sense, and he's built to be the, the be featured. A lot of the guys that they've had throughout time um, were guys that I think Shanahan kind of questioned whether or not they were built accordingly. He did he did utilize a lot without, you know, unfortunately for one year when he went to the touchdown touch, but they did use Alfred Morris quite a bit in Washington. So he does like the guys who can kind of take the touches and those first you know, two downbacks. He will utilize them. Um, it's just a matter of, you know. Does it be, is it something that he's going to be more than that? Is he going to only have like a limit of 15, 20 catches a season? That's where you're going to kind of have concerns. And then from week to week, you're going to see how, you know, 49ers, if they're not winning, how much usage does he really get out for Morris back in Washington days? Yeah, here's just what I'll say. If your scenario to play out, well, he'll actually be allowed to be the main ball carrier in that system. Then all of a sudden, dynasty-wise, 2022 and on, he would be a guy that I would look at as a high in RB2, possibly even low in RB1, because that's one that we know about the Kyle Shanahan system. If one guy can actually latch on the majority of those carries, he's a heck of a fantasy player, even if he's not that involved in the passing game, which Trey Sermon never will be. So that's the last thing I'll say about that. Chris, give me your 49ers draft uh, recap grade. Uh, like I said, they, we, they went Aaron Banks in the second round. We have some, we think that was a reach. We also have some questions about his fit within that scheme. Ambry Thomas, another reach who opted out. Don't think anybody was looking at him in the third round. Cornerback, Jalen Moore, offensive tackle. Uh, Lenore, another corner. And Hufanga, a safety. And then they picked up another running back and Eli Mitchell. We didn't get to talk about that much. Uh, running back with their last sure, pick in that sixth round. So go ahead and give me their grade. So I'm going to give them a D minus for the Mitchell and Lenore picks. Basically is the only reason they didn't get an F in my opinion. Um, I think that they reached almost in the entire draft in every single facet. And as you talked about kind of beginning of this you know, spiel, 49ers are built to try to be contenders. Now, none of these guys are probably going to be involved this year very much. If they are then this season, the team's not competing for playoffs or competing for Super Bowl. So it's kind of a catch-22 for the 49ers where, you know, if these guys are playing this year, then the team probably sucks. So I think when you look at the team and the reaches that they made and the picks that they gave up to move up for certain guys here and there, I think they just bombed. They kind of saved themselves with the Lenore pick where I do think he's going to be your starting slot corner at some point this year. He's got good ball skills. Um, he's got he's able to just kind of actually, you know, play the slot, has played the slot predominantly in college. And I, the Mitchell pick, 
Um, I think he was a steal in a lot of senses. It's a shame he took Sermon in a lot of ways because I think Mitchell actually would have been that sleeper sleeper that we, people have kind of talked about this year. I mean, I would like the 49er draft even more. But overall, he, those two picks basically saved them from a D, you know, from an F in my book. They just did – I think they bombed this draft. Banks doesn't fit their system. The other guys all have injury concerns. So it's a lot of guys where you have, you know, are you going to actually produce? And if you do, how, how long can you produce? Because you guys all have been banged up in college over and over again. All right, let's move on to the Atlanta Falcons, where fantasy-wise, there's really only one player to talk about, and that's Kyle Pitts. Uh, Donnie's perspective, it's it's pretty clear-cut. He's a top-five pick in your rookie dynasty drafts, no matter what scoring format you have. The, the tight end position, if you have an advantage there, you have a huge advantage, and he will be an advantage at, at least at some point of his career, if not right away, which leads us to what the real fantasy question about Kyle Pitts is, which where do you value him in 2021? Where can he be? Can he be a rookie tight end who comes in and produces right away? There's only been two tight ends in the last 11 years that have finished in the top five, finished in the top 10, really, even, because even outside of that, you had Hunter Henry finished 11th. So the only two guys, Evan Ingram in 2017, and then Rob Gronkowski in 2010. Those are the only two guys finished top five, top 10 as rookie tight ends. The key is the touchdowns. Which is why I don't think he, I don't know if he finishes top five, but I do think he finishes in the top ten because the, the key to both those years that they had eight and nine touchdowns those seasons. Kyle Pitts because he's matched up with Arthur Smith, and there's still a lot of talks about Julio Jones possibly being traded uh, this week. They said it's actually more of a fifty-fifty chance right now. We'll see exactly what happens, but it's still possible that Julio Jones winds up getting traded. I think Kyle Pitts because he's matched up with Arthur Smith because Matt Ryan does like to go to the tight ends in the red zone. He has a very good opportunity to get seven to nine touchdowns. If that happens, I'm not too worried about the yards because then yards wise, you need about 650 yards to about 800. You wind up being, those are numbers that make you a top 10 tight end. So yes, I do think Kyle Pitts can be a top 10 tight end. Don't go crazy drafting him in your redraft leagues though. A lot of people are already talking about wanting to take him in the top eight rounds. No, because it's still going to have to, it's still going to be him overcoming historical events to get into the top 10 as a rookie tight end, even though I think he is in the one position, the one situation where he truly can be allowed to be that. But I would rather take the shot on him being a sleeper guy, a guy I'm getting the double digit rounds and hoping for that outcome rather than having to take him within the top eight rounds in your 12 man, half point, full point, or even standard leagues out there. And because now all of a sudden you have to get that production for that pick to be worth that. I'm not in a position where I'm going to be betting and feeling that confident where I'm going to expect it. I'd rather hope for it in Kyle Pitts' situation and in a situation where he could possibly produce. What is your take? So I'm a little bit bullish on Kyle Pitts in a sense. I do think he's going to finish top five and top five tight, end, tight ends this year. Um, I do think when you look at his, his opportunity, you kind of talked about the other situations where guys were successful. You know, Ron Kropkowski had Tom Brady throw him the ball. He's got gonna he's gonna be one of those players in his tight ends that actually doesn't have a scrub or, or a crappy team around him for one of the for a change. When Kyle Winslow, when he came in, he had Tim Couch and God knows what throwing him the ball. There's a lot of times guys um come in and they are usually on bad teams or don't really have any other surrounding talent around them necessarily can kind of take the tension away. You can't double this guy because you if they do keep Julio, you have Julio, you have Ridley. You look to the production kind of in Atlanta last few years at that slot position and the tight end position, I think he kind of eats both of those guys uh, and takes those kind of their targets. And is, is, as, as a result, is somebody that you're going to finish in the top five. I definitely think he's going to utilize in the red zone. Um, you kind of talked about 
historical, you know, Arthur Smith, how he likes to use his tight ends there. Janu Smith had him you know, nine, 10 touchdowns. He wasn't always utilized throughout the field, but he always got opportunities in the red zone. The difference, like I said, is when you look at this offense, how it's constituted, we saw Austin Hooper have big, you know, decent uh, seasons for that. That's why I got paid to go to Cleveland. We saw spurts of the different slot receivers, whether it was Gage, whether it was, um, I can't think of the other kid's name. They had different guys they kind of throw out there in the slot that have effective games when teams were trying to take away Julio. So I do think when you look at how they're kind of constituting their built, I do think he's got to have a chance to finish in the top five. And I think he's also... Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. When you look at the rest of the division, in a lot of senses, there's a lot of safety guys who can't cover. Um, Mac, um, Michael, Michael, Malcolm Jenkins last year for New Orleans was one of the guys that, you know, when you played against New Orleans, you were hoping he was sticking your tight end. You wanted to play that tight end against him because while he used to be good against tight ends, he sucked last year. A lot of, a lot of guys throughout that, you know, division, you look at the matchups that Pitts is going to have, he's got an opportunity to eat. And Matt Ryan will have a lot of one-on-ones to be able to throw him the ball. So I do think he finishes the top five. Now, I won't go too crazy. Um, I don't, depending on how much value you have the tight end position with whether, you know, you go in the top eight or not, I wouldn't necessarily reach in the top eight rounds for him, but I do think it is somebody who will finish top five as a tight end. Basically we are on board that Kyle Pitts will be a rookie tight end who will be fantasy productive either way. And somewhere in that range. All right, Chris quickly, because we have to go to break rest of the Atlanta Falcons draft. Where are you graded at? I give them a, a, a B. Um, I think that they did a really great job. I love, I love the Richie Grant pick. I think that he was a huge addition, great ball hawk. Um, the Mayfield and Dalman picks, I think, are going to be nice because, you know, you kind of see these guys that being used, whether this year or down the road, they kind of bring a mauling style to Atlanta where they're more physical. And we know that, you know, Arthur Smith likes to be physical. Um, why I kind of don't give them any higher score than that is they never added any kind of running back. They had opportunity throughout the draft to kind of add a running back, and they didn't. I think that's going to catch up to them this year. I'm not a big Davis believer, um, so I do think that they could have, you know, upgraded that position definitely. Yeah, that the Mike Davis running back position with Arthur Smith, that's something we're going to get into when we do the team profiles for Atlanta and our fantasy expectations there. All right, we're going to go to break. It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back in, everybody. You are listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN, also presented to you by Belly Up Sports. We're talking about some NFL draft recaps, the fantasy perspectives that go with them, the value that we have for Dynasty in 2021 upcoming. We talked about the the Jaguars, the Jets, the 49ers, the Falcons. We got four more teams to get to. Little time to do it. So, Chris, we're going to have to move our butts on this one a little more. But before we do, I want to give a shout out to another sponsor of today's show, Monkey Knife Fight. And they are a daily fantasy sports gaming website with a number of unique ways to win money and your favorite sports and players. It's a mix of daily fantasy and prop games. So just download the app or go to monkeyknifefight.com. 
with the promo code BELLYUP for a dollar-to-dollar match on a deposit of up to $100. That's potentially an instant, free $100 start betting with today when you go to monkeyknifefight.com and use the promo code BELLYUP. So the next team that we want to get into is yet another team that wanted to pair up some old college teammates with the Cincinnati Bengals. They kick it off. Jamar Chase, number five, uh, they go, you know, they listen to Joe Burrow, whether I agree with that or not. They wound up listening to Joe Burrow. They gave him what he wanted. So Jamar Chase, I think we all know that he's a stud, or at least we feel as though he's going to be a stud, especially with Joe Burrow there for a long time to come. He should be the number one receivers coming off your dynasty boards. The question is 2021. What do you see for 2021? What kind of fantasy value is Jamar Chase going to have? And where would you put him? Wide receiver two, wide receiver three, potentially wide receiver one. Is he's this clash, Justin Jefferson? Where do you have Jamar Chase, Chris? I think that he's going to be a wide receiver, a borderline wide receiver three this season. Um, I love Jamar Chase and I love his talent. When you look at the guys that they have kind of in place already, you have guys who are going to primarily be featured in a lot of different ways. Uh, Boyd's, you know, the slot guy, he's going to get a lot of underneath routes you look at Higgins he's going to be able to be you know utilized a lot in the red zone the guy kind of stretches the field I'm kind of curious to see where Chase kind of falls in the kind of you know line of how they feed him um I think he's going to have some big games he's got explosive ability I just worry that he's not going to be able to be utilized enough necessarily to be productive we saw a lot of times you know even though he lost a step and he wasn't the same player AJ Green really struggled uh, Tate had spurts but that third receiver in the Cincinnati offense really was kind of consistent in any kind of way. Um, particularly, when I will say AJ Green got plenty of targets, though. He just wasn't able to capitalize. Eventually, he did. Absolutely. But that was also when Higgins wasn't being utilized either in the beginning of the season. It's true. So I think as the season kind of progressed, Higgins became that guy that was more and more the guy you kind of depended on. Like I said, in PPR-wise, Boyd was kind of that guy where he's getting his you know, seven to eight catches. So I do kind of have some concern where Chase is kind of a combination of the two. Um, and I feel because those two guys kind of steal some of his thunder in a lot of ways, I do have concerns he's going to be highly productive. Now, not long-term fantasy-wise, dynasty-wise, I definitely you know target him. But this year, it's not a guy who I'm targeting in my draft and redrafts. I, I'm I'm 100 right there with you. I think wide receiver three is a good estimate. Maybe he finishes the top 36. I think there's a chance there. This is a team again. It's going to have to lean on its offense to be competitive. They have a terrible defense. Garbage time points will be there, but ultimately you're splitting targets with T Higgins. You're splitting targets with Tyler Boyd. Uh, even Joe Mixon coming out of the backfield is going to be involved in some degree. I think you're trying to look at this as okay. Zach Taylor coming from Sean McVay's system. You go back to the Rams when they were top-notch, and they had Todd Gurley at the top of his game, and you look at Brandon Cooks, Cooper Cup, Robert Woods. All three of them were fantasy-relevant. All three of them, though, were no better than wide receiver twos, wide receiver threes, and that's kind of the territory that they were in. So that is what I think you have to hope for, best-case scenarios. That's why Jamar Chase affects Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins to some degree as well. Tyler Boyd especially, because I think Jamar Chase, you're going to see him go inside and outside. But for 2022, I don't know that Tyler Boyd for sure, I don't know that they won't, but for not, I don't know for sure that he'll be on the team. Like there's a real scenario in 2022 and moving forward. It may just be Jamar Chase and T. Higgins on top of Chase being somebody that prototypes out to us as being a future stud receiver. So that's why Dynasty, again, should be your top guy. But for this year, I think wide receiver three is as big as, as, big as upside he's going to be able to go. That's a team I'm going to be very excited to project and we'll get into during the team profiles as well because there's going to be a lot to talk about from a fantasy perspective. So, Chris, outside of that, it wasn't too many fantasy-relevant players that they drafted, a couple guards and stuff like that here. So look at the Cincinnati Bengals. Give me your draft grade for them overall. 
I give them a, I give them a B. Um, I, almost a B plus. I do like their draft overall. I do question whether or not they had to have Jamar Chase. Um, I you know we kind of debated about this. We both agreed that we they should have took Sewell there, but since they didn't. Um, I look at the rest of the draft and how they kind of, you know, the guys they got. I'm a big Garvin Jackson fan. I think he's going to be a, a studded guard. I think he's going to help Joe Mixon a lot. Um, and I like Asai, the edge rusher. I think you look throughout the draft, they did a pretty good job. They actually going to have a felt, possibly fantasy relevant kicker, Evan McPherson. Um, this guy's got a you know, cannon for a leg and one of the best kickers coming out this year. And then finally, even Chris Evans, where he might be actually wanting to be in Joe Mixon's backup at some point. Chris Evans profiles a lot, really well one of the top you know, um, percent, athlete percentiles in, in this draft. So I think overall they did a pretty good job. Yeah, I agree with that. It wasn't anything that really wowed me off the table. I would have went Sewell over Chase there with their first round pick. But for the most part, they got good value players at good value positions. So it's a very solid draft all the way through. Let's talk about a team that's going to be very interesting to talk about all offseason, and that's the Miami Dolphins. They didn't get a lot of players, but they got a lot of impactful players. And, of course, we have to kick this thing off with Jalen Waddell, a, another guy kind of like Jamar Chase where I like his long-term value a lot. He's going to be in a situation where sooner rather than later he could wind up being the number one receiver on that team, again paired up with his college teammate in Tua Tagovailoa. For this year, it'll be interesting because you have Devontae Parker, you have um, uh, Will Fuller, drawing a blank there, and presumably Jalen Waddle will overtake Preston Williams as that third receiver, I would presume. So kind of similar to Jamar Chase, where you're going to be splitting up some targets between three different guys to some degree. What is your take on Jalen Waddle for 2021? I have Waddle rated a little bit higher than I would with Chase, where I do think he's going to be possibly wide receiver too. Um, when you look at how they kind of are built and constituted, Devontae Parker really wasn't utilized a lot with Tua. Um, his big game came when basically when Fitz was out there because Fitz is willing to throw the ball up for him and they will get it. He doesn't get a lot of separation. So I do think Waddle's going to be utilized primarily in the slot for Miami. I think he'll probably be the guy who primarily eats from week to week. You might have Will Fuller kind of being the you know the deep guy in a lot of right ways where he's not necessarily running the whole route tree. So I think Waddle has you know does profile a lot better than Chase for this season at least, and definitely is going to be a guy that you kind of have in your radar as a receiver too, possibly because of explosiveness and his ability to catch the ball. I, I agree with all that. I, I think he has a safer floor than a Jamar Chase does because he'll probably play that slot position. So there's a few more targets, I think, guaranteed his way. Not necessarily that he'll definitely finish ahead of Jamar Chase, but I think there's more of a floor there to kind of bite your teeth into. And he has the big play capability to kind of go add, along with that. I was also going to add real quick, they also don't have you know a running back like Joe Mixon who's going to profile as a good big-time pass catcher and offense kind of utilize the running back a lot. They're going to have more of a team that's going to be throwing to their receivers more than they actually throw it to their running backs. Yeah, and I was going to mention that too, and you beat me to it. Good job. Uh, so, <laughs> Miami Dolphins. So give me their grade. They had another first-round pick in Jalen Phillips. They got Javon Holland, who we're big on. Liam Etchenberg, I, I don't necessarily had him that high, but a solid tackle. Hunter Long is somebody I think will be involved, at least from a blocking perspective. And then the offensive tackle, Lauren uh, Coleman. And then they capped it off with the running back, Jared Doakes. So what's your grade for the Miami Dolphins? I give the Miami Dolphins an A-. minus. Um, almost an A. The reason they give them minus is because I think, you know, they could have they reached a little bit here or there, Dykenberg pick, but I think overall when you look what they did, they not only are able to add additional picks down, you know, down the road, they've also got a lot of players who are gonna be produced and actually help their off you know, do defense and their offense a lot this year. I I agree. Again, we talked about this before. They got four players, even though I think Eckenberg might have been a little bit of a reach. He's going to play. They got four players who are going to be starters. He's got versatility, too. He can play tackle or guard. 
Exactly. That's why he's going to play. So they're going to be starters this season. And with Phillips and Holland, very impactful. We know Jalen Wallace is going to be impactful. We're going to talk about him a ton. This was a very good draft. The Miami Dolphins continue to build up a really good, fundamental, young nucleus. This is a team to watch out for. I would not be surprised. We talk about, and we talk about, we mix a little betting in here and talk about futures. I would put a little bit on the Dolphins winning this division because they should be right there with the Buffalo Bills. And right now, I believe they're third as far as the odds makers go. So that's definitely a team that I would throw a little bit of money on as far as a team future winning the AFC East because they're going to be right there. That With that young team, sometimes you get caught off guard and you get put in a position where they develop a little bit faster than you expected to. And they're a little bit more ready than you expected them to. And with a coach like Brian Flores, I think it's a real possibility in their situation. My, it, it's going to come down to Tua. Is Tua ready to take that next step up from last year? I, my answer is yes. And we'll get into all of that as we go through the fantasy perspective as well for that team. Let's talk about the Detroit Lions. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's wintertime. When temperatures go down, the likelihood goes up that your furnace and other appliances go down with them. So don't risk a costly replacement. Stay comfortable with coverage on the appliances you depend on most with the Service Guard Appliance Repair Program from Black Hills Energy. It's peace of mind in a plan. Visit blackhillsenergy.com slash sign up to learn more. Now, fantasy-wise, not a huge draft, but some interesting things of note. Penny Sewell is a great upgrade on that offensive line, which, of course, helps out numerous things, especially guys like DeAndre Swift, Jamal Williams, but especially helps out the running backs like DeAndre Swift, who are not the most powerful running backs to begin with. It'll help them out when they get in the goal line. Or all of a sudden now he'll have somebody to run behind and try to get that push. So now all of a sudden red zone touchdowns may be more accessible than they necessarily were before. Not that that was a big part of Swift's game, but it helps. Uh, they're going to be built around their running game with DeAndre Swift and Jamal Williams, and given that they don't have a lot of weapons. So this was a big pickup for to re re reimburse or not reimburse, but put more confidence into the fact that I like DeAndre Swift, even with Jamal Williams there. I like DeAndre Swift as a high-end RB2 who I think has some upside to be a low-end RB1 given his all-around skill set. He'll be involved in the passing game. He is an explosive runner. He's a home run threat. Being that they brought in Dan Campbell and they have Anthony Lynn, I think comparing him to a Austin Eckler role, to a Alvin Kamara role is in the cards for DeAndre Swift this year. I think it will be a 60-40 split between him and Jamal Williams across the board when it comes to carries and receptions. And I, so Jamal is being involved, but if you give me DeAndre Swift 60% in that system, guys historically make running backs good, now behind an improved, a vastly improved offensive line, starting off with Penny Sewell. I like that quite a bit. The other guy that I want you to talk about a little bit more would be Amon St. Brown. Because now all of a sudden we see him, they draft him in the fourth round. There's a real possibility because you have Tyrell Williams, Brashad Perryman, Geronimo Allison. That, that's your wide receiver depth chart right now for Detroit. He's got a shot as a rookie to come in and maybe be the top target. 
somebody who's definitely going to be a sleeper. He's not going to be up there on a lot of people's boards. We are going to talk him up over this offseason and kind of dive into that. But he has a real chance to be a guy who could be a low-end wide receiver, too, and get a lot of volume that people aren't expecting. What's your take on St. Brown with Detroit Lions and what he could be for 2021? I think you make an excellent point. I mean, I love him for PPR purposes. Uh, if you're not playing the PPR league, I have a little bit of question. But you look at how the team's kind of constituted. Not only is the receiving core extremely weak, um, we know historically Jared Goff likes to throw to his slot receivers. He likes to have that guy. He kind of is his safety blanket he looks for. And St. Brown has the ability to play. He's going to play the slot primarily. Uh, I think Hockenstein might actually be the top target, you know, producer in that offense. But overall, we've seen Keenan Allen has success in Anthony Lynn. There's a lot of things that St. Brown does that will be utilized in a lot of different ways. They love to use their slot receivers. We see Michael Thomas explode into the scene at slot position in New Orleans. I think you're going to see a lot of similarities in St. Brown. Um, I don't think he's necessarily as talented as those guys are, but when you look at his opportunity, he's got an amazing opportunity this year. And he's definitely somebody you need to have on your fantasy radar. Um, he, he might even be one of those guys, you know, those guys going in the first round. He actually might outproduce a lot of those guys, especially in PPR leagues. Yeah, especially in 2021. Now, here's what I'm going to say for my dynasty take on him. He definitely has a lot of value, but I don't think it'll take long once they start really addressing the wide receiver position for him to fall down the depth chart. So this is a guy, this is a rookie in a rare situation where his 2021 value might be more than his dynasty value. Just be, just kind of looking at when they attack the wide receiver position, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, I like his skill set. He did, he's not going to be a guy who's a huge playmaker, a huge difference maker, a huge big play guy, but he's going to be very, very solid. He has a good route tree. He's in a position to get a nice amount of target. So if you're looking for that wide receiver sleeper, he's definitely going to be on my radar. So let's look at the rest of Detroit Lions draft. Chris, give me their draft grade. So I'm going to give them a B. Um, I was actually considering giving them an A- minus because I love the idea of what they're doing, where they're just going bigger. Um, most of the league is kind of getting smaller. You got a lot of guys who are getting smaller off the lines, smaller defensive lines, smaller corners, smaller receivers. And Detroit went the complete opposite, which I think is going to pay off in the long run, big time for them. And I think that when you look at how they kind of built their team, they went with big, big players all throughout all different levels. The reason I don't give them a better grade um, is because I do think that the receiving position needs to be addressed a lot more than it was. I'm not a, I think St. Brown, why he's going to be productive. I don't necessarily think he's going to be a stud. And then when you kind of look what they have in place, they needed an upgrade. I would have thrown some more flyers in those later rounds over Derek Barnes or Jamar Jefferson. The two guys where I think they had to target those guys and probably could check some flyers on some receivers that were still available. Yeah, does it shock you at all when you bring in a Dan Campbell that your culture, your mindset's going to be, let's just get bigger and stronger it. and bully it. people? It's going it's gonna to be a nice change of pace. We've seen this happen time and time again because this league is so spread out. When you get somebody with the mindset of kind of an old school mindset of I'm going to be bigger than you and beat you up. We've seen that be successful, especially for Baltimore. rebuilding teams. Baltimore being one, I think back to you know San Francisco under Jim Harbaugh when he first started out. Very similar there. That And those teams actually will develop and get back into the competition, get back into the fold faster in a lot of cases as well, because they're just going to be playing a different type of ball game. Be very interesting to see. Um, that's what kind of one of the reasons I'm very excited for this new regime for Detroit. You might just like the Jets. I think you might be seeing a new change in the Jets where they I think they're actually heading in the positive direction. I see very similar things for Detroit where I think they're heading in a very positive direction as well. So let's talk about our last team before we get to the mailbag segment, which is the Carolina Panthers here shocked a lot of people when they decided to go with J.C. Horn at pick eight. That's not necessarily shocking they went with the quarterback, but shocking that if you're going to go with the cornerback, you didn't go with Sertan uh, there in that situation. 
outside of that, let's let's dip down to the second round pick, which is Terrace Marshall going back to his old offensive coordinator and Joe Brady in Carolina into a situation where he really should be the third receiver on that team right off the bat. Curtis Samuel's gone. So those targets get vacated. Terrace Marshall, what's his dynasty and 2021 value in your mind? I think that uh, you look at what Curtis Samuel kind of did for them. I think he has a lot of similar th- uh, production in some senses for them this year. He's going to be the primary slot receiver more than likely. I'm kind of interested to see what kind of role he plays just because Joe Brady kind of threw guys curveballs last year. We saw DJ Moore become the, the, the deep threat, while Robbie yeah. Anderson, who's been known as a deep threat, became more the underneath guy. So I'm kind of curious to see how Marshall profiles in this offense. But I think when you look at kind of the mouths to feed, he's definitely um, one of the, you know, when the receiving core is one of the mouths they need to feed. Um, Christian McCaffrey is going to really affect some of these guys, though, because he was out most of the season. I'm curious to see how much of an impact he does have on that third receiver. So I think upside-wise, maybe Curtis Samuel um, for this year. Long-term, I think he probably is probably one of their better receivers because not most of those guys aren't under contract for long-terms yet. It'll be interesting to see if they re-sign DJ Moore or not. Um, so I do think he's got some value. I don't think he's one of the top receivers in this draft necessarily for a long-term dynasty value, but I do think he'll have good value down the road. This was the best possible fit for a guy like Terrace Marshall to go hook, hook up with his back offensive coordinator and to find himself in a situation where he could be the slot receiver. Because that's the one thing we talked about. A lot of people don't talk look at Terrace Marshall because he, you know, he has the prototypical size you're looking for for a perimeter wide receiver. We're talking about him going to teams where he was going to be that. That's not his game. That's not what he is. He's not a guy who wins one-on-ones very often on the outside in press man coverage. But what he does do, especially while he's playing for Joe Brady, is get open in between, is stretch the seam. And he'll be in a position to be able to do that with Carolina, with Joe Brady, and those guys. Now, I think at best, wide receiver four, wide receiver five for 2021 as far as where his range is. Remember, Curtis Samuel was somebody who was fantasy relevant, but fantasy relevant because he was getting involved in a bunch of different ways. He's not going to be running the jet sweeps. He's not going to be lining up in the backfield. To your point, Christian McCaffrey's back targets will get, it's not, he's not just falling into the Curtis Samuel targets. Those are actually going to get divvied out to Christian McCaffrey as well. I don't know if I've ever seen a running back really take away from the wide receiver the way Christian McCaffrey does as far as the targets go. So, from that standpoint, I think you're looking at a guy who has to make his living off the big plays for 2021. And I think really the rest of his career, Robbie Anderson's not going anywhere. DJ Moore is not going anywhere. This is a team that's set up. This could be their wide receiver core for a few years to come. I think he is a solid value. I think there is some floor as far as what his role in that offense is going to be, especially as being a starter right away. There's not a lot of upside there. I'm not really excited by that point. And I don't like the quarterback position. I don't like Sam Darnold going down the field. So I don't think there's a lot of big plays to go with to begin with there. So Terrace Marshall, somebody that I think is going to get overdrafted more than not. Uh, but should, if you're in rookie drafts, shouldn't be going any lower than your second round still at the end of the day. Uh, for 2021, though, not not a lot of upside in my mind. Might be somebody who's on my waiver wire list, depending upon the situation. But that's about it as far as I'm looking that goes. The rest of the draft... Uh, really nobody who's going to play right away. I think Chuba Hubbard is a decent backup, or at least a better backup than what they have had at that running back position for a little while now. Uh, the backup Christian McCaffrey gives them more of an explosion factor where it seemed like they always got you know some plotter to backup Christian McCaffrey, which never made any sense in my mind. And then they take a guy like Brady Christian in the third round. I thought that was solid value. Uh, Chris, give me the grade for the Carolina Panthers draft. So I'm going to give the Panthers an A-. Um 
While I was disappointed by the horn over Sertan, I understand the fit. They want to have somebody who's, you know, one of the better man-to-man um, corners who can follow those guys around and kind of play on the island. So I do think Horn kind of offers that. I just kind of question his, you know, ball skills in some ways. He went down a lot of turnovers. But you look at the rest of the draft, they had excellent value throughout the rest of the draft. You know, I wasn't big on Terrence Marshall being a first-rounder, but in the second round, I think he has, you know, no problem with that. Brady Christensen was the top, um, you know, rated tackle. And PFF actually set a record for the highest rating ever for them. Um, I think he had a 96 or 97 rating last year. So this guy has, you know, potential to be a starter from day one. They did upgrade the positions. Uh, and then I look at the rest of the guys, talk about Hubbard being a backup. They does bring some little bit of speed where their previous backups were kind of more plotters. So I think it kind of is an upgrade. And I love the uh, Deontay Brown signing or draft picks, I should say. Deontay Brown is a guy who I had very high, much more high than I guess the rest of the league seems to. I think this guy's a you know, mauler. He's excellent in, in run production, but he's also a pretty good pass protector because he's so big and got, he hasn't given a lot of pressures while he was in college. Guys are kind of concerned about his weight, but I think this guy's going to be a beast in the pros. Yeah, I think they got a lot of value, especially late in their draft, especially compared to a lot of other teams as well. I think they had a very solid draft overall, even though the first-round pick was a little head-scratching. Uh, but that, another team that will be interesting to talk about heading into the offseason. All right, guess what? It is time for... The mail's here. The mail is here. We don't have Ben anymore. He'll be back in the fall. But we'll get to these questions all the same. Now, remember, if you want to get on the mailbag segment, it's very, very simple. All you got to do is contact us on social media, at Show, wherever that may be, comment on the show, and ask us any question, anytime. We're always here to help you out. Even if we're not going to talk about your question on this show, we will give you a response. We will help you guys throughout the year, all year long. So, don't worry about it. Get on the mailbag segment. Just hit us up at Show. Our questions today, we got four of them. First one, Blaine. 12-man league PPR, a one-quarterback dynasty league. Who should I take? This is going to be a good one. Kyle Pitts or Jamar Chase? Which So, Chris, which in a in one-quarterback league, so assuming he doesn't need a quarterback here, 12-man PPR, are you going to go with Kyle Pitts or are you going to go with Jamar Chase? It depends on if they have to have a tight end in their, in their lineups. Um, if I have a tight let's end, assume, I might go. Let's assume yes. I probably go pitch because of the value, long term value to tight end position. But I think Jamar Chase would be the guy that I would think is going to be more productive when it comes to actual numbers from from this point on. I like the quarterback position long term more better, better I should say. Yeah, I'm I'm more of the mindset of knowing how these dynasty leagues usually shape up. Wide receivers you can find. Tight ends you can't. And that ultimately, if, I, if all things are equal, assuming this guy doesn't have a desperate need at wide receiver, which is why I assume he's asking me the question here, Kyle Pitts is the pick that I would make because that just it's going to give you a bigger advantage at that position, especially over the long term, than Jamar Chase, even if you wind up being number one receiver overall, would possibly give you. So Kyle Pitts is that guy for me. This is the guy that, in two years, maybe three, very well could be the tight end, the universal tight end one on everybody's boards. Travis Kelsey's getting a little bit older. George Kittle getting a little bit older, also can't stay healthy anyway. And the other guys like Darren Waller and Mark Andrews, I think you can definitely surpass them when you have Arthur Smith as your head coach, when you have Matt Ryan as your quarterback for the next couple of years. Kyle Pitts is somebody who should be 
at some point, one of the best difference makers, mismatched nightmares in the NFL in the next few years. So for me, it's definitely going to be Kyle Pitts over Jamar Chase. Not going to say you can go wrong in either way, but definitely going to lean towards Pitts in that case. Second question of the day comes from Lucas. Should I trade? And this, I, thought, I thought this was crazy to me. Should I trade Trevor Lawrence for Lamar Jackson and Jalen Waddle in a 12-team PPR Superflex Dynasty League? Chris, I'll let you go first on this one. Lucas, hell no. Hell, hell, hell no. You do not trade really? Lamar Jackson. And Will- you, you would trade Lamar Jackson and Waddle for Trevor Lawrence. No, he's saying, should I trade Trevor Lawrence oh, for Lamar oh, Jackson and Jalen Waddle? I apologize, Lucas. Then hell yes. Hell yes. If you can get both those players... For, for Lawrence, I would do that in a heartbeat. You could, he's not going to have the upside that you know, Lamar's already kind of shown you. And you add Waddle to the equation, there's no way I don't pull the trigger on that deal. Yeah, I thought this was – if somebody's offered – like, and this to me, I'm not surprised by this trade or by this offer because I think this is how crazy people are about Trevor Lawrence. And I thought this was more of a commentary on that of where I'm going to trade you Lamar Jackson because – I mean, look, Lamar Jackson, while his year was – disappointing in some senses if you were able to stick with him the last half of the season from weeks 10 on guess who the number one quarterback in the league was for fantasy purpose it was lamar because look they finally let him start running again i don't know if that injury that he had in training camp to start off the year was a little bit more serious than anybody thought or they're just being super cautious with him but once the ravens were in a situation where like hey you know what we got to start winning some games here otherwise we're not going to make the playoffs and they let lamar jackson go back to being lamar jackson uh, he was, again, the QB1, just like he was the year before. So there's a perception out there that Lamar Jackson took a step down. And that really, that that actually was not the case once they unleashed him. I don't know they make the same mistake again. He got a lot more weapons. The offensive passing attack should be a lot better this season. And then on top of it, you get Jalen Waddle, who's going to be you know, a wide receiver one maybe in two to three years from now. Yeah, this is a no-brainer, but this is more of a commentary. I pulled this question. It's more of a commentary on the craze of people going over for trevor lawrence and what they think he's going to be don't don't go psycho on us make this make this deal lucas but if you're part of empty nation do not boost trevor lawrence to think that he's going to be patrick mahomes in two years from now which i think is kind of what you're seeing by this trade being offered what were you going to say i was going to say all thing you think you see is that people are concerned about lamar's long term and is he going to get hurt because he's a running quarterback Let's not forget Michael Vick didn't fall off because he got hurt. Michael Vick fell off because he got he in trouble. Prison. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so like he was putting up his numbers still. There's no reason Lamar Jackson will continue to be thrive for the next, you know, six to seven years in this in the NFL. So I wouldn't jump on Trevor Lawrence because this guy has everything he can do. And he led the league in pass touchdowns two years ago. So don't forget that part either. Yeah, everyone seems to kind of like throw that by the wayside. Let's get to our third question from Don. Kyle Pitts or Najee Harris in a 12-team PPR Dynasty League, one quarterback at the 101. This is a tough one because when it comes to Dynasty, your running backs, just like the NFL, have a shorter lifespan. They're harder to come by. And because Najee Harris, while I have a lot of questions about that Pittsburgh offensive line, and are they even willing to run the football? Because last year we saw when Ben Roethlisberger got hurt, they weren't even willing to run the ball anyway. But I would say this. I think I would lean towards Najee Harris with the first pick overall over Kyle Pitts because it's harder to find those bell cow running backs. We know the Steelers will stick to one guy. 
when they feel confident in doing so. Najee Harris is that one guy. I mean, they're already talking about how he's a more complete back than Le'Veon Bell. I don't know if I agree with that, but the point is that he will be the Bell Cal three down no matter what guy. Mike Tomlin will stick with one guy. Najee Harris is in that very rare situation for running backs right now where I would take him over Kyle Pitts. What would you do, Chris? Actually, I think I would take Kyle Pitts in this situation. He kind of talked about, you know, I understand running backs hard to kind of find in the bell cow particularly, but I think tight ends ridiculously hard to find in Dynasty League. And when you look at Harris, my concerns for him is after this year. When Ben retires, what's that quarterback situation going to look like in Pittsburgh? Because they haven't done a great job addressing the offensive line, I have concerns about how productive he will be long-term for them just because they have so many question marks. While I look at what Pitts brings to the table, I think no matter who his quarterback is, he'll be the prime guy. So I, I, I probably will go Pitts in this situation. Yeah, I mean, that that's that, the Najee Harris thing after this season is kind of depends on how you look at it, right? On one hand, no Ben Roethlisberger, probably no Juju Smith-Schuster. It could become a run-first offense. On the other hand, how productive is that offense really going to be? How many red zone targets, all that kind of stuff? How many scoring opportunities are you going to have if the offense isn't good? Because that can affect running backs more so than any other position. So it's going to depend on how you look at it. I don't argue with that. I, like, I love Kyle Pitts. I think for dynasty purposes, it's a huge guy to go after. I just, you know, I think it's a little harder to find those running backs, which is why I would go Harris, but I'm not going to knock you for either way in that one, Don. Jake, Dynasty Half Point PPR, Najee Harris or Nick Chubb? Interesting. I'm assuming yeah. this is a, a startup. I'm going to assume because you're posing this question that this is a startup Dynasty League where you're drafting veterans and rookies alike. So let's put it into that format because that would make more sense for the question. I'm going Nick Chubb. Look, Kareem Hunt's not going to be there forever, even if he is. Nick Chubb's an RB1. And while I hate that he doesn't catch the ball as much as he should, Najee Harris probably will get you know a bigger workload than a Nick Chubb will. He's in a great system with a great team that's not going anywhere anytime soon. One of the best offensive lines in the NFL. Nick Chubb's a superstar. And while Najee Harris, I think, has the potential to be one, and I actually compared, you know, Chris, you know this, I compared Najee Harris to Nick Chubb as far as her rushing ability goes all the time. Give me the guy who's already established on a team that I already trust with a play caller I already trust for the running back position. Give me Nick Chubb over Najee Harris. Where are you at on this? This was a real tough one for me. Um, I'm going to leave with Chubb as well just because you may, I think your argument actually won me over. Um, I was thinking about Harris a lot because I think that the passing chops are always going to be there and there seems to be an outright refusal to kind of use Nick Chubb in the passing game. But kind of to your point, I do think long-term, once Kareem Hunt goes away, I think eventually they're going to realize Nick Chubb can catch the ball and he will be utilized more down the road. So I have to go with the guy who's already a stud now and has the better profile down the road. I'm going to stick with Nick Chubb. Yeah, but the fact that this is a question is very interesting. I'm glad that it is because this is who I was comparing Najee Harris to the entire time. So I do like that aspect as well. That's going to do it for us today, guys. Hope you all enjoyed it. We got through the eight teams. Next week, well, the teams who selected nine through 16 in the first round is who we're going to talk We're going to talk about next week. Same format. Those eight teams will talk about their entire draft, give us our grades, but also hit their fantasy uh, players from a 2021 and dynasty perspective. And of course, we'll have another mailbag segment for you guys. So make sure you're asking your questions at belly up MDFF show and follow us along. The player news notifications are up live. We're, we're pumping them out and there's going to be a lot of football news. Now that the NFL draft is over constantly coming out every single day. It's going to be very fantasy relevant. So follow us. It's free. Because you're always looking for players notifications. It's free because all you got to do is follow us on social media at Belly Up MDFF Show. Check us out on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network tomorrow night. 
the DC's DFS Challenge Show is back at 9.30 on WWSRN. We're going to announce the April winner for the DC's DFS Challenge Tournament giveaway and get May kicked off here. We got a little bit more NBA. Once the NBA season's totally over, including the playoffs, we'll start switching to baseball, and then we'll go back, of course, right back to football as soon as football season's kicking off. That's where that show's going. So we'll be back again tomorrow night. Make sure you check this out again next week right here, 11 a.m. to 12.30 on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN. Everyone, MD Nation, have a great weekend and take care. See you, MD Nation. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready.